Father, we just want to give you praise. We want to thank you, God, for who you are. God, that you're a God that deserves our praise. We need to tell the world about you and who you are and what you're up to. And God, just bless this time, we pray. Speak to every heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you can be seated. This past week, uh, Tammy and I had dinner with a couple that are Jewish. And whenever you have those kind of dinners, you're not really sure if you should, how you should approach prayer at dinner time. And I'm telling you this because I want this to be really instructional. I want you to, to really kind of absorb this in. If you offend someone before you give them the message, it's almost impossible for them to receive the message. What you have to do is you have to be, as Jesus said, you have to be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. You have to look at the big picture. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at some really, really key, important foundational things, the first of which is knowing God. Next week is finding freedom. And as we begin to process through these different areas, and you're going to then find purpose and then make a difference. And those four messages are going to be really critically important to you. So we're sitting at dinner, and, and I have known uh, the gentleman for uh, several months. And I've been able to pray with him, actually, because of some, some things that are important to him. But we went to dinner, we had the appetizers, and in the back of your mind, you're thinking, do we talk? How much do we talk about God? Do we pray for the meal? Now, you might be thinking, well, of course you do. I mean, just be bold and be courageous. But remember, the goal is not to pray for the meal. The goal is for someone to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ through salvation. Amen? Amen. That's got to be the goal. And so as we finish the appetizers, it... uh, they brought up the subject, um, would you pray for the meal? Much better coming from them. And then we said, you know, we really didn't want to offend you. We wanted to be conscious of, of who you are and where you're coming from. No, we would, we really, we want you to pray for the meal. And so we prayed for the meal. And then we had a lot of great discussion about different things. And as that discussion progressed, Toward the end of the, uh, of the dinner, the man looked at me and he asked the question that almost every Jewish person asked me if I have a little bit of time with them. What do you think about what's happening in the world in regards to the Jews? Because in so many ways, today is so very, very like 1935 for Jewish people. And there is a pressure and there is a concern and, and God has given us bridges into many, many Jewish people over the years and, and it's just pretty remarkable really because it's not like we went out trying to cultivate all of these. It was like God just kind of handed them to us. So as we're walking out, the woman stops and she says, I'd really like to be a part of a Bible study. Do you think you could do one? I mean, just stop and think about that. We've gone from, we're not sure if we should pray, they're inviting us to pray, to let's talk about what's happening in the world of politics, 
ethnicity and religion, and now let's have a Bible study with you. I want you to know that you have friends like that in your life. There are people in your life that you can touch that you're not touching. There are people in your life that are super hungry for God, and they don't know how to even form the question. They don't know how to get into the conversation, and if they get in, they're not sure they can get out safely. I I, I want you to listen to this quote from A.W. Tozer. Tozer is such a powerful voice from the past in terms of writing. And he talks about what's a real Christian. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been confused by what is a real Christian? Maybe even in your own life, you go, why do I do the things that I do? Why do I think the things that I, why don't I make a bigger difference in someone's life? And, and why are all these people in the world that call themselves Christians doing some of the crazy things they're doing? And I'm one of them. It's not about going to church. It's not about, that is what Christians do, but it's not about going to church. It's not about ritual. It's not about, about taking communion or being baptized. It's none of those things. Those are all good things. Listen to what Tozer said. A real Christian feels supreme love for the one whom he has never seen. Talks every day to someone he cannot see. Expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. Empties himself in order to be full. Admits he is wrong so that he can be declared right is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest. He dies so that he can live. He forsakes all in order to have. He gives away so that he can keep. He sees the invisible. He hears the inaudible. And he knows that which passes knowledge. I want to take you to the book of Luke chapter 19, if you'll open your Bibles there. I'm going to tell you a familiar story to many. It's a story of Zacchaeus. And most of us kind of reserve Zacchaeus for children's ministry. And we don't think about Zacchaeus as kind of being adult topic, right? But look what it says here in in verse 1. It says, then Jesus passed through Jericho. You know, why didn't he just leave Jericho out? Wouldn't it have been just as good without Jericho in the story? It would not have because Jericho was an accursed city. It was a place where people didn't go. Since the walls fell down, it really had never been rebuilt. Even to this day, it remains just just a small village with a handful of people. But Jesus went to the place that nobody went. And that's why Jesus, when he comes into your life, he comes to the places where most people don't go. He goes into the dark crevices of things in your life that you don't let people entrance into because you're afraid you'll be judged and you'll be condemned by those people. But what he says here is, I'm going to go to the accursed places. I'm going to go to the place of darkness in your heart because I love you. And when you understand the love and the power of God to come into the darkest places, you understand that he's not judging you or evaluating or accepting you on the basis of your goodness, but because of your value to him as a person. Behold, there was a man there, the Bible says, his name was Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And you know what that underscored meant? He was hated by everybody. If you think you don't like the IRS, imagine them. Because you see, the tax collectors in those days, what they could do is they could charge you anything they wanted. All they had to do was give the government their due, and they got to keep everything over the top. 
So he was hated and he was rich and everybody knew he got rich off of their back under, under unscrupulous kind of terms. He sought to see Jesus, but he could not because of the crowd, because he was short. Now imagine this scene. Everybody's gathering around Jesus and here's a guy who's short. And he's trying to see, he's trying to see, and he starts jumping up. He's jumping up in the crowd, trying to see, can I see, can I see, who is this Jesus? Because he knows there's something special about Jesus. If I can just see Jesus, all will be well. And so it says here, so he ran ahead, he climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way, if I can just see him. He didn't even care about talking to him or touching him, it was just, can I see Jesus? That would make all the difference in the world. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and he said, Zacchaeus, make case, come down today, for I must stay at your house. What? Of all the people, Jesus singled out Zacchaeus and he said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house. Can I come to your house? Can I tell you right now that God wants to come to your house? God wants to come into your life. God wants to see you where you are. And it says, so he made haste, he came down and received him joyfully. But when they, there's always the they in the story. Have you ever noticed that? The, the super pious, super religious. When they, look what it says, when they saw it, they all complained saying, he is going to be the guest with a man who is a sinner. Gosh, what a horrible thought. He broke out of that little subculture. I mean, how many Christians are just in such a subculture, they don't even know any lost people anymore. You know, what, you know what you have to do? You have to cultivate relationships with people outside of the kingdom. You have to do that. You have to, you have to work on it every day. Every day. You know, I tell people, you know, I came to faith in Christ by reading the New Testament. No one ever witnessed to me. No one ever has shared faith to me. From the day I was saved till today, no Christian has ever come up to me and said, can I tell you about Jesus? Nobody, not one person. There's always a smart aleck will come up to me afterwards and say, can I tell you about Jesus? That doesn't count. All right, doesn't count. All right, now look what it says here. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, Lord, I give back half the goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because he is also son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why he came. You know, over the years, I, I've really come to believe that most people don't believe in Christ because they're held back by so many beliefs, false belief systems that, that keep them from really understanding God. But you know what? It's the stuff that goes on in your life that keeps you from really experiencing life. Let me give you four, four false belief systems. Here's the first one. The fear of failure. I promise you, every one of you are going to experience one of these four things in your life or you do on a regular basis. The first one is the fear of failure. We live in a, in, a, in, a, in a human race because of sin that fears they're going to fail at anything they do. Their past seems to be indicative of their future. And they think like this, I must meet certain standards in my life to feel good about myself. And if I don't meet those standards, I don't feel good about myself. And that's imposed upon us by the success of everyone else around us. And so I fear that I'm going to fail in life. A second false belief is the fear of rejection, that I must be approved by certain others to feel good about myself. When I was a child and, and going to school, I hated school. I mean, I hated school. I didn't hate it for the academic part of it. 
I hated it because every time I walked into a new classroom, I felt like nobody liked me. I felt like I got the look and, and, the, and I was being judged by every eyeball going, you know, and you know, one of the hardest things right under public speaking is walking into a new place and feeling somehow love and acceptance and not feeling rejection. We live with this as human beings. We live with this, either this fear of failure, or the fear of rejection, and then there's also the fear of punishment. And that's somehow saying, you know, I deserve what I've been getting. That I'm really not worthy, and those who fail are unworthy of love, and they deserve to be punished. Sometimes it happens because you as a child grew up in a home where you were punished, where you were looked down on, and you didn't really know how to react to that. And so you grow up as an adult, and you use the same kind of, uh, of, of childhood kind of defense mechanisms that you use as an adult to try to survive. That's really all you're trying to do is survive life. How do I survive life when I fear failure, I fear rejection, or I fear punishment? And we go through those same old motions, even when those defense mechanisms have have gone beyond their ability to solve the problem. And the way that you found yourself fitting into your, your family circle is the way you try to fit into your circles of life today. And then there's the fear of shame. The fear of shame. I am what I am, I cannot change, is what this one says. I'm hopeless. You know, a lot of times I've, I've had interactions with people who, you know, who, who do some things to themselves. They cut themselves or whatever. They do it because they feel hopeless. And they don't feel anymore. And they want to feel so bad that they will do anything just to feel. So we're going to look at over the next four weeks, what does it mean to know God? What does it mean to find freedom? What does it mean to discover purpose? And what does it mean to make a difference? And I get asked this question by people all the time, can I really know God? Can I really know God? Is it really possible to know God? When I look at the story of Zacchaeus, you know what he experienced? He experienced unconditional love and acceptance by Jesus Christ. There was nothing that judged him. There's nothing stood in the way. And when I think back about all the people that I have brought into faith, one-on-one into the kingdom of God, it's always been exactly the same way. It's been they they felt love and grace and acceptance, and they weren't judged. They weren't judged. What did he experience? He became a different person. If you look into the story, he was different. You know why? Because he was loved by God. He just simply, God just simply loved him. Christ loved him. His actions, they took on a dramatic change. He said, you know what? I'm going to give back money. I'm going to restore fourfold. I'm going to do that. And then his life takes on new values, new goals. And, and all of a sudden, he has new behavior. But people are curious about God. I don't know why God sends a lot of atheists into my life. They, they come to me and say, oh, I'm an atheist. I said, great. They look at me like, what? I said, that's great. I love atheists. You do? You love atheists? I love atheists. Within the first 10 minutes, every atheist I've ever talked to has turned into an agnostic. That is, I, I think there might be a God, but I'm not sure I, he can be known. So they, ten, it only takes 10 minutes to, to convert an atheist to an agnostic. Now, it takes longer to get him from an agnostic to a Christian, all right? But, but you, you ask the right question. Say, so, well, let me ask you something. If, if you're an atheist, I'll say something like this. You must be really brilliant. And I go, what? And I go, yeah, atheists are brilliant people. Well, I'm pretty smart. Well, I mean, I mean no, no, I mean really brilliant because you've got to be brilliant to know, to, 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 to understand that there is no God 
That means you must know everything about physics and quantum physics and biology and chemistry, and you must know everything about religion. You must have traveled the entire universe to discover that there is no God. That's when they convert to agnosticism. Okay, if there is a God, would you like to know that God? How would you like, would you like me to introduce, if that God could be known, would you like me to introduce him to that God? And then always comes the same thing. And I'm giving you a formula, by the way. I'm, I'm doing more than telling you a story. I'm teaching you something, all right? This is a teaching moment. Well, you know, what about Hindus? I said, okay, well, they have 30 million gods. They get to pick the ones they want. But, you know, there's something about Hinduism that doesn't make sense to everybody. And that is, why is, if God is such a good God of the Hindus, then why is everybody in this Hindu caste system, why are some good and some bad? Why are some cast out? Why is there not equality in that? That doesn't make sense to us. And why is it that Hindus believe that there's another uh, civilization of Hindus living on the dark side of the sun? Wouldn't they burn up? Doesn't make sense. And then Muhammad will come up, and Islam will come up, and we'll talk about religions of death versus religions of life. I spent about a year going through the Quran with a, uh, um, a Shiite Muslim from Tehran. At the end, I said, what do you think, Bijan? He said, I think I want to become a Christian. I said, why? He said, it makes sense. It makes sense. The Spirit of God took the mind, human reason, and wedded it with the Spirit of God and brought conversion. And now his whole family are Christians. And, he inf- and his brother, who's a doctor, is a cr- Christian. And it spread because it went to the whole household. People ask, is there a God and which God is it? Which God is that God? How do I find that God? We ask this question. J.I. Packer said, when we come to try to understand who is God, we start with this. A God whom we could understand exhaustively and whose revelation of himself confronted us with no mysteries whatsoever would be a God in man's image, and therefore an imaginary God. An imaginary God. How would I get to know that God? Other people, well, what about, what about hypocrites? And you know, people say, well, there are, there, the church is full of hypocrites. And I say, I, I want to affirm that. I want to affirm that everybody in this room, now this might offend some of you, everyone in this room is a hypocrite. Let me give you the definition. I pretend to be something I'm not sometimes. I'm going to raise my hand. I've done that. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever said, I love God, and then deep down in your heart, you even wondered if you knew him? Anybody ever said, I love God, and I follow Jesus, and I'm happy, and you go, but you know, why, why am I so empty? Why am I hurting? Why do I do the things I do? And I just kind of break the barrier down with people, and I say, listen, we got a whole church full of hypocrites. You're going to fit right in. And then when I invite people to church, I give them, some, I give them a, little, a few tips. I say, here's what I want you to do. When you come to church, sit in the back. That way, if things go south, you can get out quick. And then I say, and come late. That way you miss the offering. And don't fill out anything. I've just, given, I've just broken down the three barriers that keeps people out of church. What if I hate it? All they want is my money, and what if a bunch of people in robes and funny costumes show up at my door and it's not Halloween? I've broken down all the barriers. I've them out, and I said, and if that's still too risky, watch us on live stream first and see if it's okay and safe to come. Take the prop out from underneath them before they start setting the props up in front of you. It's a key. How do I meet God? You know, I love this, this scripture from John 3. It's so basic. Um, it, it's... Uh, it's just powerful. I was talking to um, 
some people and, and uh, they were from a, a Catholic persuasion and they said, well, we're, we're, we're Catholics, we're not Christians. And I thought that was an interesting comment. And, and then I said, well, yeah, you know, we're not one of those born again kind. And I said, oh, really? And I said, do you have a Catholic Bible at home? Yeah, I do. I said, would you go home and I want you to read a couple of scriptures for me in John. And I gave them the scriptures where it said, you must be born again. I said, I just want to talk to you. They came back and go, it's in the Bible. I said, I know it's not a Catholic or Protestant thing. It's a Jesus thing. He got us in this thing on born again. Right? And we began to talk about that. But look what it says in John chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world. You could put your name in there, right? For God so loves you that he gave his only begotten son. But whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's a great message of love. And everybody wants to stop there and not go to verse 17. Verse 17 is the key. It's the key that Christians have to understand. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Nor did he send Christians into the world to condemn other people. Do you realize this world is not a Christian world in the sense that everybody believes? In fact, the Bible says this is not our home, but eternity in heaven is. So lost people, people who don't know God, they're doing exactly what people are supposed to do who call this home. They're acting like people who don't know God. Our goal is to walk in this truth. I believe that everybody really wants to know God. They just don't know how. And if we could give them a winsome witness and a compelling testimony of Christ, that it's the likelihood of them believing on Christ goes up dramatically. And that's what we have to do. God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Saved. Might be saved. People have to make a decision. You know, when I, was, uh, when I was in high school, I got a job at a sporting goods store selling golf equipment. Now, the funny part about it is I didn't play golf. I still don't play golf. Some of you guys play golf weekly, maybe three or four times a week. God bless you. I don't want to be invited. I've been invited by the best to play. I don't really like it. But anyway, I'm selling golf equipment. And every day, the, the pro that was in there, he talked to me about golf equipment. He, he, I worked on my swing. I understood the mechanics of the whole concept. I've played three games of golf. It's all I want to do, okay? But I was the number one golf salesman at, at Gart Brothers Sport, Sporting Goods. You know why? Because I knew how to bring a person to a point of making a decision. And I always ask guys, I said, guys were out there, and guys were all the same. Every guy is exactly the same. He wants new equipment, but he's afraid of his wife. That's true. You've got another set of golf clubs. Are you kidding me? You know, and, uh, and, and so when you break down that barrier and say, you know what, let's find a way to work through that with your wife, like buy it and sell the other set before she, she's not going to know what's new. And I'm, I'm like a 17 year old kid telling a grown guy how to buy golf equipment. You know why? I brought him to a place of decision. You have to bring people to a place of decision where they, can, where they see such a compelling reason to believe on Jesus that they say, why wouldn't I believe on Jesus? To get people to say, I'm ready for that decision. I'm ready to make a decision and then say, now what? What do I do now? How do I get to the next step in this journey? You know, people are, uh, people are really hurting today. If you watch social media, just watch social media for a while. Crying out on every hand, hurt, pain, devastation on every hand. The things that people get upset about, the things that, that, that people are wrestling with in life, it's going on crazy, in a crazy manner. And people are trying to find themselves, believe it or not. 
A.W. Pink put it like this, the great mistake made by most of the Lord's people is in hoping to discover themselves that which is to be found in Christ alone. You can only find purpose in Christ. You can only find, you can only find love in Christ. You can only find purpose and meaning in Christ. There's, you're not going to find it anywhere else. I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to, ask you to do something kind of, kind of bold in your own heart. And that is, I want you to ask yourself, what kind of fear am I living with as a believer? And would I be willing to give that to God? Because it's probably the thing that's keeping you from really enjoying life. Is it fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of shame, fear of punishment? What is it? And what if you gave that over? What if you said, God, I'm done with that. I'm going to take it to that cross. I'm going to leave it at the cross. I'm done with it, God. What if you asked God to really set a blaze in your heart and said, God, I just want to... Um, I just want to see you work in my life, God, in a powerful, powerful way. And you just said, God, I'm turning my life over to you. What do you think would happen with that? You think God would respond to that? You see, that's faith. That's faith saying, I believe that whatever I'm praying, whatever I'm asking for, God is going to do. I'm going to ask you to just stand with me right now, and we're going to, uh, we're going to have the band come and, and just play a little bit. And as we, as we pray, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to really look deep in your heart right now and say, do I really know God? Do I know God in my heart of hearts? If, if I ask you this question, do you really know God? Some of you would say, I think I know God. I hope I know God. Some others would say, I'd like to know God. And some of you would say, I definitely know God. There's no doubt about it. I know God. I know God. I want everyone to leave this room today saying, I know God. I know God. Let's just bow our heads and I want you to pray with me. For some of you, you're going to pray a prayer like this one. It's a prayer of salvation. It's a prayer of decision. It's a prayer of coming to the place to where you say, I've got enough information. Now I need to make that decision to truly know you, God. Maybe it's a prayer like this one. Dear Lord Jesus, I desire to know you in my heart of hearts. I believe that you died, that you were buried, that you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And right now, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me and to give me that gift of salvation that comes, not because I'm worthy, God, not because I'm good or better than somebody else, God, to give me that, God, because it's, it's freely offered out of your love and out of your grace and out of your acceptance. So Jesus, I receive that gift. Save me, Lord Jesus. Write my name in the book of life that I might have eternal life. If that was your prayer and you asked Jesus into your heart, I'm going to ask you right now just to thank him for that work that he did in your heart. Just in your own words, just it might be as simple as thank you, Jesus, for saving me today. You might have known about God, but you didn't know God. You might even believe in God, but you don't know God. When you know God, it's, it's an intimate relationship that, that you say, in my heart, I feel and I sense that there is a God that's come to love me, to, who values me. If that was your prayer today, I'm just going to ask you, wherever you're standing or sitting, would you just lift your hand up? Just lift your hand up and say, that was my prayer today, Pastor.
God bless you. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Anybody else? Decision you make is a permanent decision of, of salvation. It's, it's one where God just puts his arms of love around you. He says, you're my child, my son, my daughter. And I value you so much. You know, and, it, and the next step is to grow in that relationship, to really come to a place to where you really appreciate what does it mean to walk with God, to fellowship with other believers, to really lock yourself in to a fellowship of church where you can be encouraged and you can encourage. For those of you who didn't raise your hand, I'm going to assume that that means that you really know God. Can I ask you, who's on your heart right now? Who's on your heart right now that doesn't know God? I went and wrote the names of somebody that doesn't know God, and I put it on the cross at the first service. I venture to say that everybody in this room could say, I know somebody who doesn't know God. It's your job, your responsibility to tell them about Jesus and to bring them to faith in Christ, to bring them to church, to, to build bridges into their life, to, to go to dinner with them and to go on social events with them so that you can not only love them as friends but also share faith in Christ with them. I'm going to let the musicians play for a moment right now and uh, I'm going to have Tammy come and she's going to just challenge you on this matter of salvation. What, what does that mean to really seek out for the souls of people?